This is Dr. James Crosby, Head of Sustainability at Advantage Utilities. I'd like to ask, could your organisation be more of an energy sector hero? Are you interested in improving your sustainability as a business? Well, now you can obtain the expert view and guidance on renewable energy solutions, on-site generation, carbon accounting, and sophisticated grid energy purchasing options through Advantage Utilities. Our team of experts use the latest tools to better analyse, track and reduce your organisation's energy usage and carbon emissions. To find out how Advantage Utilities can become your one-stop shop for all your energy and sustainability needs, please visit www.advantageutilities.com or give one of our passionate and friendly team a call on 0208-131-4747. Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing this show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Sabina Nawaz. Sabina is an incredible CEO, coach, key speaker and author. Also the former Senior Director of Human Resources for Microsoft, which I'm actually quite excited about. Sabina, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Oh, thank you for having me on your show, Michelle. I think you've said it. These days, I don't work inside a corporation, but I work with many corporations, universities, government agencies, NGOs, with people who run those organizations. Because I think that if I can help somebody at the top of an organization, it has an outsized impact on the rest of the organization, the careers, the aspirations of individuals, and the goals of the institution. So that's what I do for a living. I work one-on-one coaching people. I work on teams and help them be better functioning teams. I teach leadership material and I'm working on a book. So it's it's a, a range of things that I do all in the area of leadership and leadership development. Okay. So what is your book going to be about then? The book is really based on about 10,000 pages of notes that I have taken. When I work with executives, I often do a process called A360. This process is where I interview about a dozen of their colleagues in a 360-degree fashion. So people above them, below them, beside them, sometimes even their partners at home, and get feedback on them. What's it like to work with this person? What what could they do that could make it even better? Where else do they need to focus on? How are they communicating? How are they making decisions? How motivated do you feel working with them? So I ask a bunch of questions. I take a bunch of notes. And then I work with my client in sharing that feedback and developing a plan that we then work to execute on during our coaching engagement. As a result of that, I have over 10,000 pages of notes from real people who worked with real bosses and what they say. Analyzing those notes led me to some insights that I'm still formulating as I write the book, but essentially 
about not how can you get to your next level, but how can you succeed in that next level? There is a lot that is said about how do you move up? How do you get to the next step of your career then, or from an individual contributor to a manager or from a manager to a manager of managers, or even from, say, a volunteer to running all the volunteers for a, a nonprofit organization. But there's very little said about how do you succeed when you arrive there, whatever that next level might be for you. So this is really about how to cement your success in new step ups that you take in your career. Okay, so how would you typically go about succeeding in your once you've once you've achieved your promotion to whatever level you're you're going for? How do you make sure that you're that you succeed in that that new role that you've that you've worked so hard to get? There are so many things, and the answer is very complicated. But I would say few things to keep in mind is that the the very things that you made you successful and got you here are likely to now tank your success. So let's say you have incredible attention to detail and you notice every misplaced comma, every dot and an I that's missing. And that's made you noticed because now people say, you have great attention to detail, you produce high quality work, and you help make other people's work great, those you collaborate with. But let's say with that attention to detail, you become a micromanager, almost immediately, that very strength becomes you getting labeled as a micromanager. You're not empowering other people, you're always looking for the fault. Uh, It's not inspiring working for you because you're telling me everything that's broken. And even little things that, why why do they matter so much? So, So the first thing is to understand that when you're in a new level, the rules are different. The very same thing that worked well doesn't necessarily work well anymore. Okay, but then how how would you turn that around? If you were promoted because you were really good at one thing and then you got to that promotion and then... Maybe your maybe your skills that you thought that you were hired to take to to maybe the skills that you were you thought that you were hired to perform in the new role then maybe isn't how do you adapt from that though Yeah, it's a really good question because you think, but that's my strength. What do you mean I have to let go of that? What do I do with that? Well, a few things. One is applying it in an appropriate setting. So maybe, let's say we stick with this example of somebody who becomes a manager for the first time. Maybe you still bring that incredible attention to detail to how you provide expectations and guidance to people where you're really clear and crisp in your communication, but you don't look at your people's work with that kind of microscope. You train them on how to have attention to detail. So you can become a great mentor of other people for whom that level of scrutiny and attention is really important. So instead of you doing it over and over again, you're teaching them how to do it. It's the whole idea of giving them the fish or teaching them how to fish. And guess what? That frees up more time for you because now you've built that capacity in the organization, in the team. It frees up more time for you to now look at the outside environment 
understand the bigger picture, connect the work of your team with the bigger picture, and so on. Okay. Because usually when some people, when you get to the, when you get to your, maybe your promotion stage, a lot of people get excited and they are because they've worked so really and hard for it. Yes. Yeah. But then you can, is it normal for people to get scared after that? Because then it's a huge role. Absolutely. It's normal to get scared, not just after that, but leading up to that sometimes. I had somebody I was working with who was really very ambitious, really wanted the promotion and so on, had worked hard all their life for it and showed up to a coaching session in tears. No. That what's wrong? And they said, well, they want me to take this big job, this big promotion. And I said, okay, so isn't that what we've been, you've been dreaming about for this whole time? Yeah, but now I'm terrified. Why are you terrified? Well, I'm not sure I'm qualified. What about other people who might be more qualified? What if someone else feels threatened by it and starts to attack me? All these fears that were not based on fact and data, but on the stories that they had told themselves in the face of change, in the face of possibly playing bigger. We're often afraid to play bigger than than we are playing right now. Yeah, but I agree with that because a lot of people don't like change, even though they really want to get promoted and want to go as high as they possibly can in their career. When it comes to it, a lot of people don't like change. Yes, yes. So how would you deal with how would you deal with that? Maybe getting them type of thoughts at your head at your Yes. So I think if you have, and most of us have those kind of thoughts, I like to have people create a two-column list, a fact versus FUD list. FUD standing for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Okay. So what are the facts? Fact is I've been offered this position. Fact is I have 10 years of experience in X. Fact is in my last performance assessment, I got the following kudos. Fact is I've exceeded expectations in my role three years in a row right? All of those facts. And then what is the FUD? What are the fears, uncertainties, and doubts? And those would be the kinds of things I just told you this person was afraid of. When you put those out on paper, because these processes are not logical, right? They're deeply emotional. And they come from a fear-based, from a scarcity-based place of something terrible is going to happen. It's hard for us to really lean in fully to the abundance of this, to the joy of this. And so when you put it on a piece of paper, first of all, you're getting it, you're externalizing it from all these toxic negative thoughts rattling around your head. You're putting it on a piece of paper. When you look at it in black and white, you might go, okay, it does sound a little absurd. Another thing you can do is ask yourself, if a friend of mine came to, came to me with this fear, what would I tell them? And we are really hypocritical that way. We really are. For us, We have all these stories about how it's going to go badly. And for our friends, we have all these compassionate, intelligent, strategic, encouraging ways to get them to accept that promotion. So simply adopt the script that you're telling your friends. What's good for your friends is good for you. Yeah, but then sometimes I think some people don't necessarily take their own advice. Do you ever find that? They They don't. And so go talk to another friend, right? And have them 
guide you, have them give you some tough love about where you're being a little unreasonable in your own expectations. Also, try small experiments. If you're afraid to play big, don't go to Broadway and start singing on stage. Well, you wouldn't be allowed to if you didn't get through the audition, but take a small step. What would it look like to stand on an empty stage and say a few lines first? So you can experiment at work in similar ways. You can take on small projects that are perhaps a little bit outside your comfort zone or exactly what you know how to do and slowly, slowly build up the muscle strength to push yourself. Okay. But even though if you're doing that, you're still going to take on small projects that you may be more comfortable doing. You're still going to be able to gain valuable experience doing that. Can you say that again? So yeah, I says even if, even if you're gonna even if you're gonna take on small projects that you're more comfortable doing in the lead, to lead up to the big promotion that you're wanting, you're still gonna have you're still gonna learn a valuable experience and expertise. Absolutely. Along the way. Yes, and what you so two things are happening: content and container. That is, I'm learning these valuable tools and gaining valuable experience. And you know what? Sometimes learning that, I might realize I don't want that promotion. I want something else. And you might take a lateral shift in your career. The other thing that's happening is you're building muscle strength. The muscle strength you're building is about putting yourself out of your comfort zone and realizing the world did not come to an end. Okay, so I did that. I did two push-ups today and I survived. Tomorrow I can, or next week, I can do four push-ups. So you're learning how to push out of your comfort zone. You're learning how to advocate for yourself and ask for things that are out of your strict, say, roles and responsibilities. And before you know it, now you've be, you, you're going to the super athlete version of that and you're ready for that promotion. Also, people are likely to see you as having more initiative, going above and beyond. Yeah, but do you think that that's maybe how you would get promotion in the first place if you go above and beyond what you normally do? Uh, yes, it depends on how consciously you're doing it. And are you doing it by doing just more of the same above and beyond? Or are you going beyond your comfort zone above and beyond? The things that scare us about the promotion are new skills. So what are those new skills? What are those skills that someone one level, two levels above you is doing? How might you practice those in little micro steps? Now, I want to make a distinction, too, of doing invisible work versus deliberately going above and beyond in a way that is noticed, in a way that is rewarded and appreciated. Okay. And the invisible work is you're, you're continually going above and beyond for your colleagues. Nobody's noticing it. Uh, you're not getting any extra credit for it. And you're being asked to do things above and beyond that are not growing you and might just be super tactical things that, frankly, someone else has been too lazy to do. So how do you get out of that? How do you are able to go above and beyond and get noticed by your, by your bosses? Well, because first of all, you're asking for things from them around, around those kinds of things. And then after you're done with it, I would ask for feedback. I would say, here's what I did. Here's the impact of it. So don't just talk about the what, but the so what. 
here's how it changed things. It it reduced the the number of hours an engineer needs to take on the ground because now we've automated X and Y. So speak to the impact and then ask, ask for feedback. What do you notice? How do you see this going? What's the impact you're noticing of this work? How sustainable is this? And notice I'm not saying asking for feedback or where did I suck? I mean, that might come naturally, but you're asking about the impact of the work and asking your stakeholders to think about that. Because if you ask, if they, if you're able to get them to articulate that in their words, then they're doing your sell job for you. Okay. So do you think it's just as easy as that, just to go and ask your boss for more responsibility? Well, it's never that easy. And sometimes it is. <laughs> I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. So, so asking opens up so many doors that we don't even imagine. And even asking can be, feel scary at times. And of course, the worst thing they can say is no. So, so some of it is absolutely that. I think the other is noticing certain things, doing it, and then showing that. I, you know, I noticed we were spending extra time here on this assembly line, and this is what I did in my spare time. And here, here it is, if this can be helpful. Okay. Because a lot of people might not have the courage to go and speak to their boss about this. A lot of people don't. And they maybe just want to, they want to get promoted, but they might be too shy or too defeatist to think that their boss might give them extra responsibilities. How would you go about, what would your advice be to them to try to approach that conversation with their bosses? Yeah, it can be scary. And I think maybe start having a different kind of conversation with your boss first. There might be people who just don't even interact much with their bosses unless absolutely needed in a review meeting or something like that. So could you just figure out ways to strike up small conversations and build a little bit of a, more of a relationship, build a little bit more of a rapport? Another great way that yields special projects is to find out what your boss is worried about. What keeps you up at night? Where do you think are the biggest gaps? Because now you're not just coming in as though you're simply advocating for your career and making busy work, but you are directly targeting something that they're concerned about. Okay, that's good advice. I was also wondering as well, do you think that it's always the people that are the loudest and that are jumping up and down the most they get promoted over the maybe the ones that are slightly introverted? Or does I that think, even matter? Is yeah, that even I, think there are, I think there are many factors. Yes. So first of all, people who say, I'll just keep my head down and do good work and get noticed, that doesn't work so well, especially the higher up you go, because your bosses are also super busy and they're looking at a million different things. So who are they going to notice? The person who makes themselves noticeable. So that's that's the first thing. I think... Figuring out what is your unique value add, how do you differentiate yourself and making sure that is known is also super important. I think there are issues around gender, there are issues around race, there are issues around different levels of privilege and ability that can also factor in as to what gets noticed and what remains invisible. Uh, too complicated to go into over here, but I would say find allies find ways to figure out how your voice can be amplified both by yourself through some of the things we've discussed, but also by finding the right allies. Okay. 
So it it is goes does go back to what a lot of people say. You have to you have to be able to find your own voice to be maybe to to progress your career. Yes, and there is more than one way to do that. How would you do that? Really, really thinking about what is it that matters most to you. A lot of times what we think is our voice is actually someone else's voice in our head. What you should do as opposed to what you want to do. For me, when I was earlier in my career and on the software development side, I did that for a little over nine years and was very successful over time. And then I had an eight-week sabbatical. And in that eight-week sabbatical, six of those eight weeks were sitting on my couch. And as I created that space for myself, I started realizing that there was a voice in my head that said, you should go for that big next promotion, becoming a corporate vice president at Microsoft. You should do this. You should do that. As a woman, as a technical woman, you've got to do, you got to get up that ladder. And, you know, I realized when I had the space to just tune into my own inner voice versus the noise of all the shoulds uh, in my culture, in my upbringing, in my background as a woman, you name it. I realized I don't really want to become a corporate vice president at Microsoft. I know the formula. And when I know the formula to get there, I know I can get there in the next five years, 10 years, however long it would take. And how boring is that to spend the rest of my precious time climbing that ladder that I know how to climb? I want to do something new. I want to do something that challenges me in a different way and stimulates my thinking. And that's when I switched careers to head up leadership development and employee development at the company instead of doing software development. So, and many of my friends, women friends in particular, were upset with me in the short term, saying there aren't enough women in this field. Why are you leaving? And I said, I've contributed a lot to it. And now I need to do what's next for me. Uh, Because when we do things that's next for us, we actually contribute in better ways, in more full ways. Do you think that there is more peer pressure on women to achieve and push ourselves forward? I don't don't know the, the full answer. I think so. I think so because there are fewer of us there in the sectors that there are fewer of us because everybody's looking to us and looking and making generalizations about the entire gender based on how we show up or what we're doing. So yes, there's pressure from that perspective. I think it's not just for women. It's uh, any any form where we find ourselves in a minority. Good answer. Yeah. So, so what made you, you were saying that you were, you changed directions career directions. Why did you do that? It was exactly what I was just saying, that I, if I stayed in engineering, I was going to be pursuing a path that I knew how to pursue. And that didn't seem as exciting. It was a very anticlimactic moment in my life because I, that's what I thought I was going to be doing. So then it threw me for a loop for a while of, well, what do I do with myself then? And then it was about focusing on what are some other things I enjoy doing? And I enjoy working with people. I'm an extrovert. I'm someone who falls in love with people. 
So I just decided I was going to invest in people development instead of software development. Okay. Was that quite an easy move for you to do that? Was it quite a hard decision to even just change from being an engineer to doing something totally different? I may be an outlier, but for me, it was not that difficult. It, it Because I knew that I could go back into the software world anytime I wanted. My boss had told me, oh gosh, you can come back. In fact, contacted me several times like, are you, are you done with your little passion project there? Can you come back here now? So I knew that the risk for me was not very high. I didn't have any formal training when I made that first switch. So often I would wonder, oh gosh, you know, am I making stuff up as fast as I can go? Is this the meeting I'm going to get fired in? But I wasn't super anxious about it. I knew that I had managed people and organizations for a long time. I brought my street smarts. My team was very well educated on the formal side of people development and helped me a lot. So we had a great partnership where I could run a business, they they could run leadership development, and the, the, the combination of the two was really fulfilling and rewarding and impactful for the people we served. Okay. So did you have any mentors during your during your career then? You must have had loads. Well, I never had a formal mentor, like, will you be my mentor or we're in a mentoring program together or something like that. Okay. I've had loads of mentors and they've taken various forms. First of all, and I think perhaps the most impactful, often we think, oh my gosh, I have to ask this senior person and they're busy and what can I give to them? They'll, you know, I'll just be taking from them and be this bottomless pit of need. Instead, you could co-mentor each other as peers. And that's what I found the most helpful. So I had two peers. We met every other week for seven years. And that was life-changing, game-changing, being really open with each other, generously helping each other out, because we were all interested in figuring out similar sorts of things because we were peers. And sometimes if you make the mistake of choosing a mentor who's too senior to you, they've forgotten what it's like to be at your stage of your career. And what they're going to say is going to be very high level. So what in the US we would call motherhood and apple pie, you know, they'll give you a very generic mm. sort of set of advice that, yeah, we know that, but <laughs> what does that really mean where I am in my career? So I think peer mentors is what I would mostly emphasize as making the biggest difference for me in my career. Okay. How would you learn off of one of your peers? Because you says that you met with them for seven years. That's quite a long time. Yeah. I think, first of all, being really open with each other. And second, being really open with each other on the listener side. So if I'm sharing something, then my friend's are telling me, well, you know, Sabina, that does not sound like what you're saying. That sounds like this other thing. So for them to, to give us, give me direct feedback and vice versa, feedback that we don't usually get, really unapologetic, honest, blunt feedback, both positive and corrective. I think that was the biggest gift of that forum. Okay. 
I've actually heard, I know, I've actually have heard, I was just thinking about that, if, I, if I'd seen anybody else do it. I've actually spoken to another gentleman and he used to do that with one of his colleagues as well, where they would meet each week and then discuss their work. And yes. each of them would give them really unapologetic feedback, maybe role play about how they could each improve in their in their work you know, sheer tips and things like that. And it, it's a good idea, but I've never personally done it before. But is that a hard thing to set up? Because you would need to have that trust there. You do need to have that trust. And I was fortunate because I knew these people. I already had that trust. So so it, it wasn't that hard for me. Also, they were not people I worked with in my organization. They were outside. And I think that might be important. Okay, so you didn't have anybody inside your. Co- okay, so you had. No. Men- okay, so you had mentors that were outside the organization for this, for this particular situation for the peer mentoring where we were very very open with each other. It was outside the organization. Okay. Now I also was part of the. I also was part of the women's group at Microsoft, and and there was plenty of peer mentoring, open conversations within the same organization. We didn't work on the same teams. Sharing the experience of being women in technology bonded us together and created a lot of trust as well. Okay. Did you get a lot of benefits out of being part of that group then? Of the women's group? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. First of all, there were many events and trainings and things like that that we benefited from, uh, but also just connecting with other women to know my experience is not unique, that we're all facing similar patterns, similar challenges, similar aspirations. There were a few of us who for a while were connecting and sharing resources with each other on how we communicate most effectively. And it was just a very, very supportive environment to to boost each other up. Okay. So what is the biggest challenge that that you have faced or some of your peers have faced? Oh, there's so many. I think one for early on in my career, in my very first job, I wasn't doing a good job there and nearly got fired. But fortunately, my boss was incredibly supportive and worked with me to find still in the technical sphere, job responsibilities that would work better for me. And so I was able to, with his help, turn that around and I think the the lesson I took from that is to really be focused on your strengths. What is it that you're wired to do really well and build those strengths up even further? So that's what I learned from that experience. And once I leaned into my strengths, I was I was on the right path. Okay. Cause that is that is a really interesting statement, actually, because if you're a young graduate or a young engineer, and then you're interviewing for a job, and it might not even be the right. How would you go about maybe saying, "Well, I really need, I really want to start getting my career off the ground," and, but you know that the job might not be the one right for you. How would you go about doing that? Would you just take it, try it, because it could be de- detrimental to your career if you take the wrong type of job? How would you go about? doing that? Uh, It's a tough one. I mean, the answer is it depends. 
it also depends on your financial situation and do you need to take the first job that comes your way because otherwise you won't have a place to live. So I think there's so many factors that it would be hard for me to speak to all of them. The part about your strengths, I would say, is sometimes we don't even know when we are graduating what exactly the job is and whether that really speaks to our strengths. So first of all, thinking about maybe projects you've done in in university that you really enjoyed, that really lit you up. They had a good, good impact, but did you enjoy it or did you dread every single minute you spent on it and you were watching the clock till it got done. From that, can you extract what kinds of projects or what kind of strengths underlie those that that brought that smile to your face? So that would be one thing to think about. It's also, I think, when you're a fresh graduate, the other thing to recognize is that many people a very large percentage of people, I don't know what the actual percentage would be, really struggle in their very first job. I think so too. Exactly. And so I think it's really important to not think that it's just you. Like you're not special. (laughs) This happens to many, many people. And there's probably many reasons for that. So knowing that that is normal might actually help you not just cower in shame, but learn how to move through it or out of it. Okay. There's another thing that I've been asked by a couple of graduates. Some of the graduates, and they are quite, they are, they're, all of them are really nice that, that I talk to, but they have like a perception that they're excited to, to be leaving and getting their first job. But a lot of them have like dream companies they're the one I work for. I want to work for that specific dream company. Do you think that even exists? Is there an actual dream company? And maybe there is, but I've never really, well, maybe I have. I have to watch what I'm saying. And maybe I have, maybe I should be, I have got a dream company, yes. But is that a real thing though? Is it real? Say if you go to your dream company and you're disappointed. I think you would be disappointed because there's no such thing as a perfect company. There's no such thing as a perfect human being. And companies are made up of human beings. You know, it's almost like saying, let's say you're wildly in love with somebody and you want to partner with them for life. But you know what? Even they leave the toilet seat up sometimes and that's not your favorite position for the toilet seat. So nobody is perfect and neither is any organization. I would also... Try to understand what makes that your dream company. Is it just from a very far distance that you've already always admired this company? Do you know people who work there? What leads you to that dream? And recognize that any company where there are people, there will be politics, there will be miscommunication, there will be other things as well, and hopefully a lot of positives that will outweigh the negatives. But it's never going to be all just dreamy ideal in real life once the honeymoon wears out. Okay. So what would your advice be to any new graduate who was trying to get their first job? I'd say know your strengths really well and own them unapologetically and find the strengths that are not just the table stakes like I'm smart, I work hard, I get things done. Everybody will say that. What sets you apart? What's unique about your strengths? 
tell the story of that strength. Don't just tell me, show me how you're great at that. And then as you're looking for it, know that in the interviews, you are interviewing the organization as much as the organization is interviewing you to reduce the chances of that miserable first job. Really ask questions about what it's like to work there. What's the culture? How do people set expectations? What happens when people succeed? What happens when people fail? I would really be discerning about the organization as much as they are about me. But a lot of coaches might not even be might not even be confident asking that type of questions. I mean, I wouldn't even be be tempted. Well, not even be tempted. I wouldn't be maybe asked that type of question. But then I've maybe kind of worked for the same company for the last so many years, so I know what they're. I know what I'm getting when I go there. They're yes. very nice as well. They're very nice as well. I like the I like the work that they do. In case my boss is listening, but yeah. So <laughs> a lot of people might not even be a lot of well, yeah. A lot of graduates or just people in general might not even be, you know, when be confident to ask what the type of cult, corporal, cultural, yes. cult, corporate culture that there is. Yes, and there are other ways to figure that out. Find out who else is working there. Check out their LinkedIn profiles. Look on all the sites where employees share what it's like to work with organizations. We live in a very connected online world. So I would say broaden your resources and do your homework that way. Okay. I never really thought about doing that, actually. That's really good advice. So... Have you ever encountered any career disasters then? And how have you handled them? Well, it would be that first job that I talked about and being lucky to have a great manager who helped me get out of that. But fortunately, no other career disasters, at least now. That's good. No, that is good. I think I'm going to ask you maybe one final question, actually. If you could turn back time, would you change anything? If I could turn back time, I would accelerate the time it took me to be more of myself. As a young graduate joining the working world, I was much more tuned into being a version of me that I thought other people wanted versus the version of me that I wanted. Uh, Especially as a woman, I was more like the guys. And that was good. It got me accepted. It got me to the table. And I think there are ways to do that and be more of a woman, for example. Do you think so? Absolutely. Because even sometimes I feel that you could, being a female engineer, because you're surrounded by men all the time. Well, maybe not so much now, but when I started off, when I started out in my career, when we started off in our career, that it was all men, that you would kind of adopt or be, need to be seen to be adopting that type of saying. Yeah, so you Listen. don't want to show up as so different that no one knows how to talk to you or relate to you. Yeah, That's not what I'm talking about. But but you could actually formulate your own values, what you stand for, your own perspective, instead of simply going along with what everyone else is saying and doing if you are thinking about things differently. For example, when I was managing a large team, I often led with the people implication as opposed to the strategic implication. It didn't mean that I wasn't strategic. I was planning strategic, 
but I led with what's the impact going to be on the team? Do we have the people to do this work? Are they going to have to work weekends? How will they take this? How motivated will they feel? So asking those questions was really key because the work doesn't just get done by itself. Maybe we're coming soon to generative AI and, and who knows what in the future, but we needed people to get the job done. And how would you, how would you manage people to, to actually make sure that the job is getting done? Because that is hard. That is quite a hard task in itself. I think it's really being very clear on purpose and removing obstacles. It's that simple and that hard. So what is our goal? Why are we doing this? And if someone doesn't identify with that why, then it's a good place for them to opt out. There's no need to chase someone who's not into the why. But being clear on the why allows them to be clear on their why and whether they should stay or not. And then uh, there was a great research study done by Teresa Amabile and some other folks, I believe at Harvard, on what managers can do to motivate their teams. And the single biggest factor was managers who remove barriers. So really managing to remove barriers because you have the authority to do that is incredibly helpful and goes a long way. I could ask you a million questions about that as well. How would you even remove the barriers? That's it depends on what the barriers are. Yeah, okay. Right, I'm gonna leave it there. And I never did ask you about Bill Gates as well. I still I still can't believe you you met him and worked with him. Okay. So that's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Sabina for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.